Our scripture reading today will be in Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, that I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of the Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have severed the loss of all things and now count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that God... The righteous... The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Boy, isn't that good? I mean, it's just good to hear from a young person. And then to end it, like, I just think we ought to always end our our read of the scripture, and that is, this is the word of the Lord. And if it is the word of the Lord, then we got to respond appropriately and accordingly. You know, I'd like to um, remind you that tonight is our Fresh Encounter service. It's usually on the third Sunday, but that was last Sunday, and that was Father's Day, so we moved it to tonight. So 6 o'clock tonight, I'd encourage you to come, pray together with the people of God. What a good way to spend a summer evening for sure. And then our text this morning, as you've already heard, is in Philippians 3. And the last time I preached a couple weeks ago, I had what I think is the greatest text in the Bible in the New Testament, and that's in Philippians 2, where we saw Jesus as God, man, and Lord. And this text, I'm not sure I would call it the greatest text. You know, every time you're preaching, you're supposed to think it's... But it's a really, really powerful text. And, And the topic of the text is one that is incredibly relevant for us. It's the topic of identity. It's the question like you saw in the, in the skit of who am I or who are you or who are we, which is really an important question. And Paul goes right after it in this text. And it reminds me of the spiritual classic that I'm sure you're familiar with, Snow White, uh, <clears throat> that was written a number of years ago. And it, I mean, it just feels spiritual, doesn't it? Whiter than snow, my sins... Actually, it isn't a spiritual classic. That was supposed to be a joke that didn't work very well. But so so I'll pull out my, I got my visual aid. I'm going to start it with this. Because you remember one of the key elements of Snow White is a mirror. It's a mirror, mirror on the wall. And I didn't feel like getting a mirror, mirror on the wall. So I got my wife's little mirror, mirror not on the wall. But you'll, you'll get the idea. And you remember in the story, there was this wicked somebody. I can't remember if she was a queen or she was somebody of some level of authority and power. And so she goes up and says, let me turn it this way. Mirror, mirror on the wall. 
who's the fairest of them all? And I'm sure she had technicians program this particular computer, so it gave the answer, you, oh, wicked woman. I didn't say that, but you're the fairest of them all. And so she's feeling pretty good about herself, you know? She's like, yeah, I'm the fairest of them all. Until one day, somebody must have misprogrammed it. I don't know what happened. There was a glitch. Maybe there was a storm the night before and short-circuited. And so she goes up, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And lo and behold, it's Snow White. Come on. How, how could that be the case? Her identity was destroyed. She was willing to do whatever it took, even to the point of killing her foe in order to reassume her position as the fairest of them all. It's inspiring, isn't it? <laughs> And yet I think this, he thinks we live in a world, and Paul lived in the same world, where identity tends to be based on how we look, how we act, what our function is, what our contribution to society is, and the scriptures argue diametrically opposite of that. As a matter of fact, and this is a spiritual classic that was written in the 17th century in England, it's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And Mark and his family were over dealing with the, the English Reformation. And, and the Westminster Catechism was a product of some of the Puritans in England saying, we need to push this Reformation even further. And so they wrote a confession that's fairly lengthy. And they had a longer catechism, which is long. And then they had a shorter catechism. And a catechism is, is a question and answer. It's the way to teach children, but also to teach people. And, and the first question in the Westminster Catechism, and, and I'm sure many of you are probably familiar with that, and that is, what is the chief end of man? And the, the, that's question number one. And the answer is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To which I say, that is absolutely your and my chief end. That's why you're here. That's what you were created for. Question 33, and I've got it up here. It asks this question, what is justification? Now, justification is that multisyllabic word, you know, this big word that theologians like to use. Although Paul was a theologian, he used it in the book of Romans. He's going to talk about it a lot in this text, even though he doesn't use it specifically. And it is, justification is where a righteous God comes to a sinner, not righteous, and declares that sinner righteous by doing two things. One, forgiving that sinner of his sin, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. But not only that, also, not, it's not just, okay, you've got a clean slate, you've been forgiven of your sins, but I'm going to impute, or I'm going to reckon, or I'm going to put to your account a righteousness that's not your own. It's the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. It's Christ's righteousness imputed to our account. That's justification received by faith. And the church should always be identified, not by here's how many works we do, not mirror, mirror on the wall. We're the fairest of them all. But Jesus, fairest Lord Jesus, he's the one that we find our identity in. So here's what I want to do. Thank you for keeping that up there for a while. It keeps my face off of there, which is good as well. So I'm going to ask the question. You give the answer per the Westminster Shorter Catechism of 16, I think it's 42. You ready? What is justification? Answer, justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. 
We need to teach that to, to our kids. Am I right? We need to do that kind of catechizing to our kids. And we need to preach it to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel because that's the gospel. The gospel is that God is so incredibly merciful, incredibly merciful. He comes to sinners and he accepts us based on the righteousness of his son. And news doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. That's why it's called gospel. That's why it's called good news. That's why we ought to identify ourselves as I'm in Christ. I don't want to be in any of my stuff. Because compared to Christ, it's all lost. So, let's look at the text. And in the text, and there's two points to the text, and it's fairly simple the way it unfolds. And that is that Paul describes two identities of people in the world. Identity number one is there's a group of people who are very independent. They rely on their own Righteousness, they're self-righteous. And, and none of us like to be called self-righteous, but the fact of us, the fact of it is, many of us do live as though our identity depends on us and me and my performance. And watch how Paul describes it. The first six verses are these independent people of which many of us function like this. So in verse one, he says, finally, and, and, and you ought to read the amount of space in the commentaries about finally, because he's got two more chapters, and it's kind of like, Paul, this really isn't finally. It's like the preacher that says, okay, finally, and then a half hour later, he ends. That's what it feels like. But Paul's saying, I'm moving toward the end of my discussion, and the punchline, and the punchline's going to come up very well in this particular text. And he says this. I find this intriguing, too. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, the redeemed of God, the ones who are justified, and that's assumed, as he'll argue later in this text, are ones who are characterized by rejoicing, not by running around saying, because I tell you what, if your identity is based on yourself, you're not going to rejoice all the time because there's going to be times when your health isn't that good, your wealth isn't that great, your fame isn't really particularly good. I mean, that, that's going to happen. It does happen. But if your identity is in Christ then there's never a day in your life when you can't wake up in the morning and smile and say, I rejoice in my Redeemer. <laughs> so that's, that's what he's saying. And then he says, to write the same thing to you is no trouble for me. As a matter of fact, for you, it's safe. That, that's, kind of, that's good biblical admonition that says we can't hear the gospel too often. We can't hear the glory of a righteous God who declares sinners like us righteous because of the righteousness of his son Jesus through faith, not by works. And then in verse 2, 2 and 3 are interesting verses that kind of begin the discussion. Paul describes self-righteous people. In this context, I think the self-righteous people were what, the, what, what, what you would call Judaizers, people who found their worth and their value in what they did and in who they were. I'm a Jew, I'm a Hebrew, and I also follow the law. And they were trying to strive after that. And so he says, look out for those kind of people. Because sometimes those people are us. And then he has a threefold description. And look at it. It's, it's kind of Pauline in your face. Because <laughs> sometimes Paul's this really general guy. Other times Paul is like, I'm going to get in your face. And here's how he does it. He starts off with, says, look out for the dogs. Look out for those dogs. Now, dogs in this context are not stubby. Is Nate in this service? He's usually in the second service. I had to get a little stubby thing in there because he always gets good response from stubby. If you haven't been here, stubby's Nate's dog. And it's, it's not stubby. As a matter of fact, it's not. My daughter just got a dog, a Labradoodle. And I'm not a dog expert at all, but this, this is a, it was like the cutest dog I ever saw. You know, it's like this really, it's got this really smooth hair. It, and, and I'll be honest with you. So if you're doing mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Stubby doesn't win. 
Cooper wins. <laughs> Sorry, Stubby. <clears throat> Except if you're looking at Mirror Mirror on the wall and you want to say which dog would go help the owner, if you remember last week, that's about to fall off the ladder, Stubby would probably go. Cooper would be out running around someplace else. I mean, he's like this carefree. That's not the dogs that he's talking about. The dogs he's talking about are wild dogs. Dogs that in their, in their culture, dogs were not pets. Dogs were those sleazy, grimy nuisances that would eat trash if they could find it. And you didn't even want to give them trash. Your kids threw rocks at them. That's, and, and normally a Jew would call a Gentile a dog. And Paul's looking in the face of self-righteous Judaism. And he's saying, you guys are dogs. Yeah, and then he goes on. He says, and you're evildoers. Look out for the evildoers. They thought they were doing it right. And he said, you're doing it wrong because they were doing it in the flesh. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's a threefold description that I'm here to tell you. If you were in the first century and you were a Jew, you would have said, man, this guy is not politically correct. As a matter of fact, he doesn't know how to win friends and influence people because he's getting in our face. The mutilating the flesh is a play on words with the word circumcision. And they made such a big deal out of circumcision that it lost its heart. The heart of circumcision was covenant relationship with God. And for them, it became outward sign of pride, of self-righteousness. And Paul says, look out for those self-righteous people. And then in verse 3, he says this, for we're the real circumcision. He's probably playing off Ezekiel and Jeremiah in the Old Testament where they talked about not an outward sign, but an inward heart. Here's a threefold description. And I pray to God that College Park would not look like the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators of the flesh, but we would look like this. Who worship by the Spirit of God. Who we come together in assembly and our prayer is Spirit of the living God fall fresh on us. Because if you don't, We have nothing. And then he also says, they glory in Jesus Christ. I will glory in my Redeemer. They're not glorying. And the word glory there could be translated boast. They're not boasting in, you know what? Look at me. Look at my sand. Look at my heritage. Look at my works. Look at me. No, as a matter of fact, they glory, they boast in Jesus Christ. Christ or Christ Jesus and and they put no confidence in the flesh so they're not coming in here saying God you're so lucky to have us I mean is God ever lucky (laughs) probably a theological error there it isn't it isn't a matter of saying wow look at this church college park church God you just I mean we don't glory in the flesh and in what it is that that we have And, and then he goes on and this Paul is you know what Paul was a brilliant writer because now he's going to give a little autobiographical thing. He's going to say, all right, let me tell you guys a story. Here's the way the story goes. He says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason to be confident in the flesh. You guys think you're something? You're nothing. <laughs> if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more. He said, you think you're the man? You're not the man. I'm the man. <clears throat> I was the man is probably a better tense to use. As a matter of fact, it reminded me, I played... Soccer in college for the soccer powerhouse, Cedarville College. <laughs> Thank you for that, helping me feel good about myself. <clears throat> uh, and and I, so I'm watching the, the World Cup yesterday, and Argentina's playing somebody. And uh, I'm, I'm not really, a to- I'm not totally, but anyway, so Messi, he's, the, he's like the biggest name guy. He kicks a goal at the end of the game, and he wins. And I, looked at, I watch this game, and I say, whatever I played in college, they're playing something different. <laughs> 
I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it, they are playing the game the way it's supposed, and whatever I was doing, which I thought was pretty good. So that's kind of what Paul is saying. So you guys, you're out there bragging. Let me, let me show you Paul pre-Christ. Paul who glories in the flesh. And then he gives a sevenfold description of himself. <clears throat> and, and watch how it flows. The first four are kind of, here's my heritage. Here's who I am. This is me. I've been, I'm more. And then he says, circumcised on the eighth day, which if you're a Jew, that's when you're supposed to do that. That's following the law. You get it on the right day. Jesus' parents took him on the eighth day. Check of the people of Israel. So I'm not just a proselyte that kind of bought into this Israelite stuff. I was born an Israelite. I've got the genetic stuff. Check. Number three, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, if I were picking tribes, I probably would have picked Judah. But if I couldn't be Judah, I'd be Benjamin. Fact is, he didn't choose any of that. Benjamin was where Saul came from. He was the first king of Israel. Benjamin was the one tribe that did stick with Judah, whose king was David, who the Messiah was to come through. So check, check, check. He's got three checks so far. And then he goes on and he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's like when you talk about Hebrews and you look them up in the Hebrew dictionary, there's a picture of Paul there. I am the Hebrew of the Hebrews. It doesn't get any better than me. Sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? And yet the fact is it was true. And then he goes on, he gives three more describers of his, not only his heritage and who he was just genetically, and, but, but then he talks about here, so, so watch this, I've also done quite a bit. He says, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. And if you've read the Gospels, when you think of Pharisee, you usually think negative. Those are the guys Jesus was always going after. But if you were a first century Jew, you would say this. The Pharisees, those guys, they go way overboard in their religion. I mean, those guys are over the top. They don't just go the extra mile. They go the extra 20 miles. Matter of fact, the Pharisees were a construct or it was a group of people that weren't in the Old You don't find Pharisees in the Old Testament. They were intertestamental time period people who were saying, we got to do more than the law. We, we can't be just satisfied with the Old Testament law. we got to do more than, more than, more than, more than. And then they identified themselves and Paul said, I am a Pharisee, as a matter of fact. And then he goes on, he says, as to zeal, you want, you want to know zeal? You think, you think those soccer fans are zealous? You ain't seen nothing because I'm out persecuting the church. Now, again, you'd say, wow, you shouldn't be persecuting the church. That's true. But I got to admire his zeal. And I'm so glad that that zeal translated over into his function as a Christian. And then he ends it. The seventh thing he says, which is a mind boggler to me, he says, as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. You, you can't find a flaw in me. <clears throat> and it reminds me that rich ruler that came to Jesus and said, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the law. And the guy said, I've done it since I was a kid. And Jesus didn't argue with him. He says, I'm Jesus. I'm going to say, of course you didn't. Remember that one time, what you did to your sister? He didn't. He didn't. Almost as though this guy actually had done it. Then he said, go and sell all that you have. And the problem with that was it was an indicator by God that your heart, your identity is in your works. It's not in me. And the same thing would have been true of Paul. He had it all from an external identity perspective. When he looked in the mirror and Paul said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The answer was, you are Paul. 
You gave us your sevenfold description. Wow. Now, let me just give you a couple applications because I want to get to the next point. <clears throat> when I think of the dilemma and the challenge of those who are independent and self-righteous, even though most of us would never use the term self-righteous, although we might use the term independent because, after all, we're Americans. I mean, the 4th of July is a celebration of independence. We're independent. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's who we are, the American dream. So I'm not sure the American dream, and there are some good things about the American dream, and I love America, but I also think the tendency toward our own default and our own fall is in our own kind of vision of independence. Here's what it does. It creates proud people. I mean, don't you hate proud people? I mean, those guys that are kind of like, you know, they got, I, you know who I am? And you're like, no. And you're like, I'm not sure I even care. And yet, you know, they care. And, and they're, the, they're the ones that, frankly, even though we would say we can see it so clearly in others and we don't see it on ourselves, those ones that say, I am so close to God that I read my Bible ten times a day. How many times do you read yours? You know, and you're like, um... We can even identify ourselves, which the, the Pharisees did, with their spiritual accomplishments. And by the way, nothing wrong with reading your Bible ten times a day, as long as you're not ignoring other things that you should be doing in, 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 in living out the reality of the gospel and the reality of the scriptures. So pride is one of the things. And again, we're all going to say, that's not me. And the fact is, look in that mirror, because it may very well be us in our pride, in our little, whatever those accomplishments are. It can also lead... This self-righteousness to prejudice. I mean, you got to hear it in that text. Paul's saying, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as if it doesn't get any better than that. And we think, you know, and whatever it is that you label yourself as, and you think, no, in America, we've gotten away from that. We're not prejudiced. Really? Really? There aren't times when you think we've got it, but we're better than them, and, and they're less than us. Some have said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in the history or in, in the week. And I wonder if maybe that's true, and I wonder why. Why is that? And I understand cultural differences, and I understand that, you know, there's different contexts that seem to be to help people worship. But I would hope College Park is one of those churches that say, we're, our identity is going to be like the church, and the church has diversity. I love diversity when diversity is, finds its unity in Christ, not in just diversity. <clears throat> we could become prejudiced. And I think this is one of the major dilemmas of self-righteousness. And I've used the word poverty just so I could have three Ps. Pride, prejudice, poverty. And that is we look in the mirror and we say, mirror, mirror on the wall. I don't care what you got to say. I don't like what I see. And you know what? My hair used to be dark. That's why I like it. <laughs> it's an easier way for me to look at the mirror. I didn't have, I got other things on my face I didn't used to have. I don't even know what they are. <laughs> I need a neck tuck, you know, whatever that is. (laughs) And and we laugh about that. And yet the fact is, and I can guarantee you that within the church of Christ, we identify ourselves by our performance, by our looks. Last week I was on a family vacation. I have two incredibly beautiful daughters who have wrestled with the question of what are women supposed to look like? And women in our church, I'm not the best at preaching to women. Don't buy what our culture tells you. Don't buy that. Young women, old women, none of you. 
The fact is, your identity, if it's going to be in how you look and what you're, then you're, you're, you're destined for a doom that just isn't going to, you're not going to find satisfaction. And then for us guys, we say, you know, how do you identify yourself? Well, you know, you know, I'm a pastor. Which some days I'm glad to say that, other times it's like, I'm a pastor, what? <laughs> because I glory in my own identity. And then you, and then, then what happens when you don't have a job? Well, I am a, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to identify myself anymore. Or when we get older and we're no longer functioning, supposedly, or at least we don't function like we used to. We don't have a job or retired. Then, so, so who are you? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, we we struggle with or when we're single and we say, I, 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 I define myself as don't define yourself as single. Yeah, you are single. That may be true. And by the way, some of you guys ought to do something about that in this church, <clears throat> frankly. I'm not going to do that this morning. But I also would say this. Don't define yourself by that. That that is all a way that leads to a path of despair. And here's the good news. Jesus has a much better way. (laughs) And that is good, isn't it? That's good news. And Paul's going to go after it. I wish I had another hour. I wish somehow I could make the sun stop. And I can't. Because in verse 7, the first word in verse 7 is one of my favorite words. And if you've ever heard me preach, you know it is. And congregation, the word is, but. The the, the discussion doesn't end with self-righteousness. Paul says, but I've got a better alternative. But is called, it's an adversative in grammar. It's like, let's turn the tide. Let's move the discussion. And then Paul, Paul does this. He says, but whatever gain I had, all that stuff, all this mirrored stuff, he said, I count it as loss. And if I didn't have to preach one more time, I'd be tempted to break the mirror and have bad luck for the rest of the day. Which I don't really believe. I count it as loss. You know why? It's for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. Everything! Really? Your health? Your wealth? Your position? Now, it doesn't mean, I mean, that was misinterpreted by the church where they became monastic and said, oh, we've got to, we've got to, it doesn't mean that. It says, in a priority sense, if God were to take those things away from you, would you be nothing? And Paul says, I count all those things, everything as loss because of, and I love the, the superlative verbiage of Paul, the surpassing worth. It doesn't get any better than this of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Which sounds kind of British. I don't know if it is or not. The King James translation, which was a little before the Westminster Confession in the 17th century, the early 1600s, translated that as dung, which is kind of a derogatory term for excrement, just in case you're wanting to want to put... And I've used that twice in a sermon. I'll probably never use it again, hopefully. The point is, Paul says, you can take your best and you compare it to Christ and you may as well call it dung because that's what it is. And so my identity is either dung or it's Christ. So, so take your choice. Um, C.S. Lewis has this great quote. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard it. That hits, I think, right at this point. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum. It's kind of like the illustration. 
because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And I love this last line. We're far too easily pleased. You know, I'm content with my car. I like it. I like my house. I like it when I'm healthy. I'm content with stuff that is so less than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And then I want to say, i got to get my head examined. And really, I've got to get my heart examined, don't I? It says, where is your priority? Where is your identity? And Paul says, I take that stuff that the world argues, that's how you identify yourself. And I say, I'm going to put the scriptures up to my face and identify myself, counting all that but loss. <clears throat> and, then, and then at the end of verse, what verse is that? Verse 8, there's this little in order that, which in Greek is just one word. It's a purpose word. It says, hey, so why would you do that, Paul? Well, here's why. And then look what he says. I would do that because in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So I'm going to count it all loss, but here's what I get in exchange. (laughs) I get in exchange. I'm going to count it all loss that I may gain Christ and then be found in him. It's it's kind of an interesting verbiage because it's almost as though Christ is here, but I'm there. And I think it's another way of saying, I am and my, and my identity is so engulfed in Christ. And the preposition, I love prepositions. And the preposition I love is the preposition, I am. I am in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Not in myself, not in my own works, not in my righteousness, not in my best. I'm in his best. <laughs> I find myself in Christ. <clears throat> You know, I tried to think of an illustration of In Christ. Actually, John Stott has a really, really cool book called In Christ. And it's a short book. So, you know, I, I could sell you a bunch of books if you had time. Um, this, one, this one's a great one. It has a lot of pictures in it. And he deals with prepositions. So it can't be a bad book. And he talks about the different ways of looking at In Christ. The illustration I came up with, and this isn't perfect, is I was digging around this week. And I got in our files. And I, and I found this birth certificate. It's called a Certificate of Live Birth. It's in Marion County, Illinois, a little town called Centralia. And and the one whose birth certificate is, is a little girl, at this time was just born, Kathy Sue Heatley. Kathy Sue Heatley. Who was born to Billy Coleman Heatley and Mary Sue Baker. And they should have put Heatley there too because they were married. And, and I don't know if you know Kathy Sue Heatley. A couple of you probably do. Kathy Sue Heatley, her name has changed again. It's Kathy Sue Bartimus. <clears throat> and she's not married to Don. She's married to me. These people can't tell the difference. I understand that. We know the difference. <laughs> and <clears throat> Billy Coleman Heatley was born in Coleman, Texas. And Mary was born in Lawn, Texas. And... The birth date was March 7th, which is all you need to know. And <laughs> the child was born alive at the place and on the hour and date stated above. And there was a guy, S.S. S. Rosenblum, who I certified that I attended the mother at this birth. He was a doctor. He wasn't a midwife. And that's an official birth certificate. You don't think that's weird about that birth certificate? I mean, on one level, it's pretty standard birth certificate stuff, I think. He got her a passport is that the fact is, she wasn't born to Mary Sue Baker. I mean, I don't know what this doctor was thinking when he signed it. I think that's the way you do it. She was adopted. And, you know, 
Adoption is another beautiful New Testament word, isn't it? I mean, it's the word that I just, I don't, I don't spend enough time reflecting on. But the fact is this. When I read that, and I looked at that, and I thought, okay, somewhere in there there'll be a little asterisk. Oh, by the way, she was adopted, just so you know. Um, it's not in there. When I read this, for all intents and purposes, even to its fullest extent, it looks like she's got two parents, and one is Sue, and one is, we call it Bill, not Billy, and, and, and that she is a Heatley. She is in the Heatley family and has all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of a Heatley. And as a matter of fact, that was back in the era when you didn't tell your kids they were adopted, you know, because you didn't want them to think that somehow they were second rate or second class and nobody ever did. And Kathy's, I mean, her stories of the blessing of having been adopted is one of those things that just kind of, you know, it almost makes me want to cry and say, thank you, Lord, which she does. And you know what? In Christ, if you're in Christ... If you're in Christ, you have imputed to your account the righteousness of Christ. And your identity is not what your identity was before. Your identity now is, I am in Christ. Wow. And then Paul goes on. And this is where I wish we had like, you know, hours and hours. Because he says in verse 9, I may be found in him not having a righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own. Thank God the mirror is gone. And some of you ought to go home and smash mirrors this afternoon if that's your identity. Shouldn't we? It's not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which has come. It comes through the faith in Christ. Righteousness from God. Some have called that an alien righteousness. It's not yours. It's one that comes to you and it comes by grace through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. We stand before the Father. And I find that incredibly warming. And it's just, I mean, it's just amazing to me. Now, the Catholics in the Reformation, and and frankly, I understand this. They were a little upset that the Reformers liked to use the nuance of justification. Because that meant, so, what? You mean you're telling me that God comes to a sinner and declares you righteous? And it's not based on your works. He just does it and he imputes Christ. Wait a minute, we can't buy that because you know what will happen? We'll have churches of people that they live however they want. They'll be totally licentious and they'll be antinomian and a bunch of other big words like that. They'll just do whatever they want. The Bible never understands that because when you're in Christ, that in Christness is going to affect what you do. Like Bill mentioned the other week, you'll work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and watch how Paul describes that real quick in verse 10. Verse 10 ought to be everybody's life verse. <clears throat> this is kind of the sanctification verse of the text that I may know him. He's justified me. That's my identity. And then I, here's how I live it out, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And I ask you this, if you want to call yourself justified in Christ, it's totally of him. And then I want to ask the question, so how has the resurrected Lord's life been lived out through you? And if you say, well, you know, I, you know, then I'm going to say a justified person declared righteous. It's an act of God. He does it. That's your identity is going to manifest themselves by living a life of victory and the life of resurrection, which first of all starts with he does a work of regeneration in my heart. I'm a sinner and I've come to him and the resurrected Lord gives me life in Christ. And then for those of us that say, okay, we're there. How about the resurrected power that gives you victory over sin? How about the time you look in the mirror and you say, I can't overcome that lust problem that I have. I can't overcome that pride problem, that greed problem, that you can fill in the blank with whatever your favorite sin is. 
And if there's a risen Lord and you're identified with him, Paul argues in Romans 6, you're going to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. And the resurrected Lord is going to come out in our lives, College Park, every day of our lives because we've been declared righteous by God himself that manifests himself, that manifests itself in the power of the resurrection. And then here's the other side of the coin and share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. The part, I don't know about you, I'm not always as happy about. You know what suffering is at core? At core, suffering is bumping into the evil of the world. That's, that's what it is. If there wasn't evil in the world, if there wasn't a curse, there wouldn't be any suffering. So when you bump into suffering, here's what it is. You're bumping into, that's, that, that's the evil. It may not even be your evil specifically, so it's not as though you would say, I did something wrong, therefore I'm suffering. But anytime you suffer, it's the wrong seems off so strong. There is suffering that goes on in the world. Jesus, his intent in coming to the world was to defeat evil. And he went face to face with suffering. And he was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, because he battled suffering until the point of death. And then he rose again and conquered death. And you and I are called to suffer for Christ. We are. And, and here's what one who, you see, if you identify yourself by, I'm going to look, I want to see how my health is, my wealth is. So when you lose your job and you're sick or whatever happens to you, say, I'm not, I, I don't have confidence in myself anymore. And then I would say, praise God, because now you've got to have confidence in Christ, right? Which is sometimes why he takes us through those sufferings. And, and then the last verse says that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Which sounds like he's like, I, you know, I don't know, I hope I get the resurrection. That's not the point, the way Paul wrote that. <clears throat> the point is more this, I know the resurrection is coming, and I can't wait for that day. Because the resurrection is the day for which you live. It's the day when evil will be conquered. When there won't be little kids in hospitals that have gone through devastatingly horrible things. That day is to come, and we live for that day, and we say, Lord, make us faithful, because on that day, I want to stand before God, declared righteous, because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account. I don't want on that day to say, Lord, let me show you my bank account. Let me show you my stuff, because I've counted my stuff lost, so that I could know Christ, and I can't wait for the day of resurrection. Which is what Paul is saying in this text. So, so what do we do? College Park, what do we do? We, we, we're confronted with it. Let me, let me give you a couple of real quick suggestions. <clears throat> One, you ought to go out and buy a book. That's the way you ought to apply every sermon. Not really. But out in our resource area, we have Live 14, which is coming up in August. And the, the topic is, who am I? It's mirror, mirror on the wall. We're going to spend a whole month. Mark's going to preach four sermons. Uh, we're going to have small groups. And this is a book by Jerry Bridges, who is a really good author. And this particular book is on identity. And you know one of the things I noticed about this book? It's small. So this summer, you can read it. You ought, you ought to, and we're encouraging everyone to get that. And I would say there's a good start. Go and start thinking about identity, who you are. Wrestle with it. Maybe you're here this morning. You'd say... You know, I don't don't know what it means to be in Christ. I'm glad you're here this morning. I am absolutely... Because the best news I could ever give to you isn't that the U.S. will win a soccer game today. I don't know if they will or not. And in America, I don't know if we really care that much. But you know what the best news I have for you is that a righteous God can offer you justification, can declare you righteous because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's by faith. It's not by works. You don't have to come up and say, well, you know what? Maybe in a couple weeks... 
there's a song that says, if you tarry till you're better, you're never going to come at all. So come as you are. That old just as I am. The old idea of, you know what, if you're going to wait till you clean yourself up, that's never going to happen. The good news is he takes not cleaned up people and he declares them righteous by faith in Christ. So that's something else you do. And then those of us that struggle with self image stuff go smash mirrors i mean go home this morning afternoons even if it's a symbolic mirror smash symbolically smash it and say i'm counting this stuff loss so that i can know christ so <clears throat> one more thing i'd like to do because a good preacher has three points and a poem i think i only had two points but i do have a poem and this is attributed to saint patrick you know, St. Patrick of St. Patty's Day, and you ought to study him. He's a little bit more saintly than what St. Patrick's Day seems to be. And this is called the Shield of St. Patrick. And I remember, I knew that, and I wondered, shield, what does shield mean? And then, and then I was caused to think, in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the armor that you go to battle with, and he has the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Does anybody remember what the breastplate is for? Breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ. Can you say that one more time? Christ's righteousness. And, and here's the way he describes it. And there's a couple things I like. I love prepositions. There's a boatload of them over here. And I just like the impact of it. Let me read it to you. And with this, I'll pray and we'll close. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ in breadth. Christ in length. Christ in height. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Because when he thinks of me, all he thinks about is Christ, because that's what I'm identified as. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. And may we be a church of people that when they think College Park Church, they would say, that is the Christ church. (laughs) That is the church. Their identity is in Christ. And their individuals live that, and they live that together corporately. And they train their children that way as well for the glory of God. Father in heaven... I thank you for so great a gospel. It boggles my mind because I've had to think about it a lot and then to preach it. And Lord, may we be people who live the gospel and identify ourselves as those who are righteous in Christ. And if there's some that don't know you, I pray that today they would come to you because in you alone is true life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, College Park. Appreciate your attention tonight. Fresh encounter. Come back. There'll be people up here that'd be glad to talk to you if you have some things, some spiritual issues. So bless you and see you tonight.